So our parents and our mentors have an uncomfortable habit of pointing out things that we don't want to recognize about ourselves. Uh, and we've all had that experience. Uh, I want to share one of those experiences with you. Um, I have this t-shirt. Um, it's a Superman t-shirt. And I know it's weird looking. It's, it's black because this is from like the Superman movie that came out about 10 or 12 years ago with Henry Cavill. And they were like really into making everything dark and gothic and whatever. So it's a black t-shirt. Ignore that part, okay? It's a Superman t-shirt. That's what matters. Uh, so I've had this Superman t-shirt for a long time. I've worn it a lot. It's got some holes in it and uh, it's very well loved. And I've been wearing it uh, for a long time because I love superheroes, right? I'm, I'm, I'm into comic books. I'm into superhero movies. Uh, I used to collect comics as a kid. And DC is a big deal for me. I like the DC heroes more than the Marvel heroes. And so um, uh, when this movie came out, I was super pumped. And I went out and I bought a t-shirt to support the movie, okay? And then I wore it and I wore it and I wore it. One day, I'm hanging out with a mentor. And he said, Jim, I noticed you like that Superman t-shirt. You're always wearing it. I said, well, yeah, I mean, I, I got to represent my boy. Uh, and he said, I think it's more than that. I said, what do you mean? He said, Jim, I think you feel like you're supposed to be Superman. I said, that's crazy. I'm not from Krypton. He said, no, no, no. Uh, Jim, I think you think that it's your job uh, to keep everything spinning. It's your job to go faster and do more and be stronger and not be vulnerable and move at whatever speed is necessary to keep everything around you going. And you don't like to ask for help. You don't like to need help. You don't like to be vulnerable. You just kind of want to be Superman. That was real uncomfortable. So I did what we all do when our mentors tell us uncomfortable truths. I laughed it off and told him he was crazy. Um, but that was a conversation we had 11 years ago. I'm still thinking about it today. I'm still thinking about, hey, maybe there's more to this t-shirt than just me liking a superhero. Maybe one of the reasons I like wearing this shirt so often is I feel like uh, I need to be Superman. And, and I wonder if you feel that way sometimes. I wonder if you sometimes feel like you have to keep going, right? You have to move at whatever speed is necessary to make sure that you get to work and get the kids to their programs and make the dinner and get the groceries and do the laundry and then um, do the prayers and then do it all again the next day. Um, maybe you feel like you are constantly running, trying to be enough. There's no time for you to be vulnerable. There's no time for you to be the one that needs help because you always have to help somebody else. Maybe you feel like me, like you're trying to be Superman. It strikes me today that there has been in the history of time just one guy just one guy who actually could be Superman. There's been just one guy who had actually all the power and actually all the ability who could get anything done he ever wanted to get done and do it all by himself. And that man chose to call 12 friends up on a mountain and give his power away. That man chose to say, hey, as my ministry grows and expands, as it reaches beyond my hometown and the villages around my hometown, I don't want to be Superman. I don't want to be the one that does it all myself. I want to send you guys. And Jesus calls the 12 apostles and He gives them a mission. And He says uh, that they are going to be His partners in this work. I'm going to leave my Superman shirt up here for a minute. Um, but I, I want to think today 
about what it means that Jesus still calls us to be apostles. I want to think today about what it means that Jesus still is not looking to be Superman or for us to be Superman. He's looking for um, people that will partner with Him to do the work of ministry, the work of building the kingdom of God. And it strikes me that when Jesus calls the twelve up onto the mountain, um, He gives them three gifts. He gives them three tools that are essential to their work in partnering with Him, that are essential to their work in sort of carrying some of the load that He's been carrying. And so I want to think about um, those three things that make us apostles today. I think He doesn't just give them to the twelve. I think He intends to give them to us as well. We're going to read these actually in reverse order. Uh, And so um, we're going to begin in the uh, third chapter in the, in the 15th verse, the third thing Jesus gives them is He gives them the authority to cast out demons. He gives them authority. This is a really interesting moment in the gospel because up until this point, um, Jesus has been the one who's been preaching. Jesus has been the one who's been casting out demons. All of a sudden, He says, hey, you guys are going to start doing that. I'm going to give you some of my authority. I'm going to expect you to do some of my work. I actually think Jesus is intentionally echoing Moses a little bit here. I mean, when the Spirit that's on Moses is taken off him and given to the 70 elders, and they are expected to carry some of the burden. I think Jesus is remembering that story as He's giving authority to these men. I think He's intentionally saying, hey, just as um, Moses, who prefigured me, chose to give authority away, so too I'm going to be that kind of Savior. Um, But when Moses does it, it's kind of flashy, Right? When Moses does it, I mean, they come around the tent of meeting, and um, there's prophesying that all of a sudden happens, and it's really a big moment. I kind of get the impression that when Jesus calls the disciples on the mountain, it's not as flashy a moment. It feels almost matter-of-fact. So, I'm a big fan of the TV show The Chosen, which is a, a free web version uh, retelling of the story of Jesus. And uh, this particular moment is not captured on The Chosen as far as I know uh, in detail. But there's another moment in that story where Jesus is talking to the disciples, and it's very similar as He gives them authority to cast out demons and to do mighty works. And I want to share a little bit of that scene with you. Jesus and the disciples are in the house of Simon Peter in this passage, and He's getting ready to send them out uh, to be apostles. We play that clip for me? Just as Joshua led the twelve tribes to take the promised land. You will proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while you are on this mission, you will heal the sick and the lame by anointing them with oil. You will cast out demons. You will clean. What? Why are you all looking at me like that? Uh. Could, could you just repeat that one more time? Proclaiming as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Hold on. Heal the sick? Cast out demons? While you are on this mission, I grant you this authority. Someday, you will have it all the time. Was that a ceremony I missed? This is it. 
don't feel any different. I don't need you to feel anything to do great things. But, uh, with all due respect, Rabbi, we've only just begun as students. We're not nearly qualified enough. Why would you need us for this work? He doesn't need us. He wants us. Thank you, Sim. Very good. John, if I needed religious leaders or qualified students for my ministry, I wouldn't have chosen... <laughs> well, you get the point. Can we get back to the part about healing the sick for one second? <laughs> I love this moment. I think it captures what's happening in our passage as well so powerfully. Um, Jesus doesn't need to do flashy signs. Jesus doesn't need to um, wave His hands and say magic words. Jesus has the authority, and He can give that authority away. Two things the disciples ask as questions in this passage I come back to a lot. I think they're relevant for us today. One of those is um, one of the disciples saying, I don't feel different. I don't feel different. What, what, what do you mean that God gives us the authority to do all these things on Christ's behalf? I don't feel different. I don't feel like I have that authority. And Jesus in this clip says, you don't need to feel anything to do great things. Your authority doesn't come from your feelings, but from me. The other thing they object to is, well, we're not qualified. We don't know enough. We just started following you. By the way, in the Gospel of Mark, um, we're even earlier in the story right now. Jesus, we don't know enough to, to go out and, and to do the things you're telling us to do. And Jesus says, if I wanted qualified people, I wouldn't have picked you. Um, what a relief, right? Um, God's not looking for people with seminary degrees. God's not looking for people who have been in the church their whole lives God's not looking for people who have the Bible memorized. God's not looking for people who pray effortlessly in public. God's looking for us. Right? Jesus says, I don't need you to feel different, and I don't need you to be qualified. It's not about your feelings or your qualifications. It's about my authority, which I have given to you. Uh, I like uh, Westerns. And you've probably seen this moment all kinds of times in Westerns, but usually at the end of a, of a good Western, there's a scene where we've identified the bad guy and the sheriff has got the town and the town's rising up against the bad guy. And the sheriff has to go and make what? Makes, they make deputies, right? They make a posse and all the posse gets deputized. And uh, in the Wild West, there is no training process to become a sheriff's deputy, right? There's no, uh, you know, organizational structure. It's just, I'm the sheriff. I give you a badge, I tell you you're a deputy, and now you are. And because I've done that, all of the authority of the law is now behind you. That's what Jesus does in this passage with the twelve. I think it's what He does with us at our baptisms. Jesus says, uh, you don't need to feel different, you don't need to be qualified. I have the authority, and I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you the authority to be my deputies for a purpose, right? The purpose here is to have authority to cast out demons. Uh, it's, it's the authority to confront evil in all its forms. Jesus says, um, not I want you to have authority so you can um, do whatever you want or make yourself grand or get yourself a great following. I want you to have authority so you can confront evil. David Gushi has... Uh, a book called The Righteous Gentiles of the Holocaust, A Christian Interpretation. And in it, he tells the stories of uh, the, the righteous Gentiles, the non-Jews, who risked their lives during the Holocaust to save 
Jewish people who were being massacred um, by the Nazis. He has amazing stories, um, but the the, story, the book in general is, I mean, obviously kind of heartbreaking, but it's heartbreaking for some additional reasons. He mentions that across the 300 million people that at one point lived under Nazi rule, about 90% of those people self-identified as Christians. And about 60% of those people said that they were somewhat or very religious. But less than 1% of those Christians chose to risk their lives to shelter Jewish people in the midst of the Nazi persecutions. Even more disturbing was the fact that many, uh, many of those Christians said that their faith was not a component of their decision to risk their lives for their neighbors. Uh, in other words, they were not being taught in their churches that their job was to do this, that this is what Christ would have done. They were just doing it. And it seems to me that when Christ gives authority to the apostles to cast out demons, when He gives authority to us to stand up against evil, we are first and foremost responsible for helping our members recognize evil in all its forms and then to stand up against it. Now, this is the first thing that Jesus expects us to do, He expects us to know evil and stand up against it. Evil comes in all kinds of forms. It comes from demon possession to human trafficking to systemic injustice to bullying in school. And, and we're supposed to be the people that recognize and stand up against that evil. Uh, you, you know that in, in uh, this coming Saturday, we're going to be doing this anti-human trafficking event. Um, one of the things that we've talked about a lot in the last few weeks is how pervasive that evil is and how um, unaware we are of it. And so part of our work on Saturday is going to be just to train people to make them aware of how often this human trafficking stuff happens in our midst. Uh, and then it's also going to be to help train people who might be first responders. I don't mean um, the first responders of the paramedics or the police. I mean the first people to notice and respond to somebody in need. We, we want Christians to be some of those people. Uh, and, and by the way, as a, as a little aside to this, um, I'm very concerned uh, that sometimes when we've done these events, we've seen a whole lot of women and a few men. Please do not let us make human trafficking a women's issue. Um, Men ought to be the front line, along with our women, of standing up against this evil. We're called by Jesus to stand up for Him on His authority. By virtue of our baptism, we are Christ's deputies. We are called to go push back the darkness. That's the first thing He asks us to do um, as apostles of Jesus. Uh, here's the next thing. We're going backwards in time. In chapter 14, Jesus says we're to be sent out to proclaim the message. Jesus calls us to stand up. Then He calls us to speak up. Jesus says, I want you to go proclaim the message. I want you to tell everybody about the story of the kingdom of heaven. Um, proclaiming the message doesn't always mean standing on a stage or pre preaching from a pulpit. Right? Proclaiming the message um, is just as simple as telling people what you've heard from Jesus. Uh, I'm going to do one last clip 
um, from the chosen. But in this same conversation, as Jesus is asking them to go out and have authority to stand up against darkness, He tells them to go have authority to speak up on behalf of the kingdom of God. And again, they're a little bit confused, and I want you to see uh, that conversation. You said if anyone will not listen to our words, what words exactly? What are we supposed to teach? Anything you've ever heard from me. I've only ever heard the one sermon. You heard the best one anyway. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, they're all so good. <laughs> that message was not just for the thousands that were there. It was for all who will hear it from now until the end of the age. How will they know it, you ask? Good question. Thanks for asking. You will tell them. And the places you will go are places I will soon go. So you are preparing the way for my arrival and helping ensure that more people are ready to hear the good news. Jesus says, just tell them what you heard from me. And when we're called to speak up for Jesus, we're not called to give a perfect 10-point sermon using the Greek and Hebrew, and we're just called to share what we've heard from Jesus. Part of the reason we come to worship every week is not just so that we can be able to worship God and reconnect with God and hear from God for ourselves, and so that we can find something to take out to the world around us. You're not the only person who's lonely. You're not the only person who's got a relationship that's on the rocks. You're not the only person dealing with a health crisis. You're not the only person who's lost someone they love. You're not the only person who's struggling with your faith. You're not the only person who wonders if God is really listening. And so when you hear from God on any of those topics that matter to you, that's what He wants you to go and tell other people about, right? It's as simple as, boy, this is what Jesus said to me. Maybe someone else needs to hear it as well. That's what it means to speak up with the authority of Jesus. It's about inviting, inviting people into this story of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, which is, which is nearer to us than it ever has been before. It's not about following rules. It's not about being religious. It's not about being good people or good citizens. It's about a whole new way of life and community lived in Christ. It's about this incredible adventure that He invites us into. That's what you're supposed to speak up about. It's the story of the kingdom of God. Jesus tells the disciples to stand up against darkness. He gives them His authority. He tells them to speak up with the story of the kingdom of God. But He gives them one other instruction as well, one other thing that sets them aside as apostles. Verse 14 says, And He appointed twelve, whom He also named apostles, to be with Him and to be sent out to proclaim the message and have authority to cast out demons. Jesus appoints apostles to be with Him. This is what distinguishes the apostles from everybody else. It's what distinguishes us from the world around us. It is uh, this incredible privilege that we have of being with Jesus. Uh, by the way, it's important to notice that, that being with Jesus doesn't always make everybody perfect. Um, the, the, the apostles 
are not the best guys in the world. And, and the three most important apostles all, you notice they all got nicknames, Peter, James, and John all get nicknames in the story from Jesus, kind of single them out as special. Um, we're going to hear some amazing stories about Peter and James and John, and, and they are going to do probably the most boneheaded stuff that all the disciples do, right? Of all the disciples, they're the ones that screw up the most. But what makes them special is they get to be with Him. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with Him on the mountain when He's transfigured. He takes them with Him when He raises Jairus' daughter. He, he, he picks them to have extra time with Him, not because they're wiser or smarter or more qualified or more spiritual or more faithful. He just gives them His time. I think this is the gift that Jesus gives us. The gift that Jesus gives us is this promise that He is with us. What He offered distinctively to the apostles at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, He says, He gives to everyone, I will be with you until the end of the age. Yesterday, uh, we did a wedding for um, Abby Popsahala and Paul Van Grinsven. Abby is the daughter of Scott and Kelly Popsahala and um, long-term member of our church. It was a great wedding and um, just adorable, cute couple and deeply devoted to Jesus. It was, it was really a lot of fun. Uh, in the midst of, of their wedding, I, I was telling stories about them, and one of the stories I told um, was about one of their adventures. They're kind of a very adventurous couple. So at one point, um, Paul and Abby were um, in an airplane um, preparing to exit. It was in the sky. It was not on fire. It was not crashing. I think this was a bad choice. Some of you have done a lot of jumping out of airplanes um, when they were not crashing or on fire, but I will never do that. In any case, um, they are in this airplane getting ready to jump out. Again, I want to emphasize a perfectly good airplane. They're going to jump out. And uh, Abby is looking around and thinking, boy, we've done a lot of adventures but this is pretty scary, right? I mean, this is a, a higher level adventure than cross-country skiing or trout fishing. Uh, and she's getting second thoughts. And she says she just looked over at Paul. And just knowing that Paul was there, knowing that he was um, with her, that he was this source of stability and strength for her, it didn't make her no longer scared. It just made her a little bit less scared. Just gave her enough strength to say, hey, I can do this, right? I, I can do this not because I've got it together, but because Paul is with me. And I love this idea that that's how Jesus works for us, right? Jesus doesn't say, when I show up, when I'm with you, I will take all your problems away. He doesn't say, I'll make it all easy for you. He doesn't say, um, hey, when I'm there, everything will go swimmingly. He just says, it'll be a little bit better. It'll be doable, because I'm with you. There's a hero of mine, a guy named Brother Lawrence. Um, Brother Lawrence was born in the 1600s. He was wounded in the Thirty Years' War uh, as a soldier, and then uh, sometime during that war, he also had a conversion experience, and he came to Christ. Uh, and when he was 26, a number of years after he'd exited military service, um, he took up the calling to be a monk. And he began uh, a life of, of monastic living that he continued as long as he was alive on this earth. Um, Brother Lawrence had um, uh, an injury from combat that pained him for the rest of his life. He was in kind of chronic pain all the time. 
Uh, while he was in the monastery, his job was to be a cook, and he was a cook for many, many years until his pain became so bad he really couldn't stand and work in the kitchen anymore. Uh, and then they gave him another job. He became a sandal maker. And so he was the guy that made sandals for the other monks because he could sit down while he was doing that work. Brother Lawrence um, was in his life um, never significant, right? He, he never had great wealth or great influence. He didn't preach to a huge crowd of people. He wasn't um, famous all over the continent, um, but he was well known amongst his fellow brothers and amongst his friends as a man who had this incredible intimacy with God. And uh, after his life, some of his friends put together some of their conversations and some of his letters into this book um, that you can get. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. It's about 70 pages, super simple and easy. And he talks about how he practiced being with Jesus all the time. He said uh, in this book uh, to one of his friends, the most excellent method he had found of going to God was to do our normal activities without any view of pleasing men, and as far as we are able, purely for the love of God. It was a great delusion to think that times of prayer ought to be different than other times. It is just as important to adhere to God by action in the time of action as by prayer in the time of prayer. When he had prayerfully filled his mind with an attitude of great devotion of that infinite being, he went into his work in the monastery kitchen as a cook. He considered what the job required and how and when each thing was to be done. Then he spent all his time at work as well as before and after his work in prayer. When he started work, he said to God with a complete trust in Him, Oh my God, You are with me, and I must now, in obedience to Your commands, apply my mind to these outward things. I beseech You to grant me the grace to continue in Your presence." As he proceeded in his work, he continued his conversation with his Maker, offering to him all his actions. When he finished, he examined himself to determine if he had discharged his duty fully. If he had done well, he gave thanks to God. If not, he asked for forgiveness. Then, without being discouraged, he set his mind right again and continued his practice of the presence of God as if he had never deviated from it. He said, by getting up after every fall and by frequently renewing my faith and love, I have arrived at a state of mind where it is more difficult for me not to think of God as it was in the beginning to think of Him. I love this idea uh, that what makes us most effective as apostles, um, what makes us most effective in the work that God wants to partner with us about is that we practice being present with God just all the time, that there's never a point where we have a, a, a space that has God in it and a space that doesn't, but that we are devoted again and again to saying, Jesus, I want you to come along with me wherever I go. I want you to be in my work and in my play and in my rest and in my worship. God, now I want to, to see you all the time. I, I want to be a person who is always looking up, always recognizing that you are present, always practicing your presence. How do you know when to speak up? How do you know what message to preach to the world, to your friends, to your neighbor? Well, you practice looking up to Jesus. How do you know when to stand up? What is evil and what's not? What evil must be opposed and cast out by the authority of Jesus? You practice looking up. You practice 
being with Jesus. The, the incredible invitation that God has for us today is that He's not looking to be our superhero. He's not looking for a few people to be superwomen or supermen. He's looking for people to be spiritual women and spiritual men. He's looking for people to say, hey, we have this incredible authority on God's behalf to stand up against evil, to speak up for the kingdom of God, because we look up every day to Jesus and make Him part of our present life. He says, you can be what Moses so deeply desired. Remember Moses in our, in our passage this morning? Moses um, needs to pass on some authority. He's got too much on his shoulders. He asks God to help. God takes the Spirit off of Moses and puts it on the 70. Some of the guys are preaching in the camp, and somebody says, hey, is that okay? And Moses says, are you kidding? It's amazing. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that His Spirit rested on all of them. And then comes Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm not going to give you the Spirit that was on Moses. I'm going to give you the Spirit that was on me that at your baptism, I'm going to set you aside with my Spirit to be one who can stand up, speak up, and look up for me. What Moses wanted, Jesus made possible. Jesus gives us His Spirit so that we can be spiritual women and men who carry the story of the kingdom of God and the power to fight evil into the world because we are always with Him. This week, as we reflect on that calling to be apostles, as we reflect on that calling to be uh, those who partner with God, uh, I hope that we can give up this idea of being enough by ourselves and recognize that Christ has already given us all that we need to be enough with Him. Thanks be to God. Amen.